Today, my guest is Major Glenn Ignacio. I recently heard Glenn's story of substance abuse and recovery, which let me stop right there and say, well done, Glenn, and congratulations on not only getting the help that you needed, but sticking to the recovery program. It's not easy, as we're going to hear in a minute. Your story described some euphoria in the early stages of the addiction, as well as post-acute withdrawal symptoms in the recovery stage, both of which I think would be actually really good for our listeners to hear about. So welcome, Glenn. Thank you very much for taking this time with me today. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Please share your story with us. Sure. Well, thank you for the invitation. And uh... And I'll explain to everybody sort of who I am and how all this happened and, and uh, how we sort of pulled out of it. So uh, first of all, again, thank you. And uh, for everybody that's listening, I'm Glenn Ignazio. I actually retired, uh, actually was medically retired. I'll explain that. Uh, for 22 years with the Air Force, I was a special operations and combat rescue pilot. Uh, even before that time, I was actually enlisted for about six years right out of high school. And slowly got my degree and uh, became a pilot, which is a fantastic thing. That was my dream. So how I got into this situation uh, is rather interesting because of my career field. I deployed all over the, the world, but I uh, was at a training event here back in the United States and I got what's called the bends. Okay. So we do a lot of high altitude things, you know, just like a, an airliner flies at altitude and uh, bends is also known for a lot of people uh, that do scuba diving. What happens is the pressure changes and these bubbles form in your bloodstream, uh, nitrogen bubbles. It's almost like opening a, a bottle of ginger ale and the bubbles form. Well, the same thing happens in the body when you're at a low pressure or high altitude. So I won't, I won't bore everybody with that long detail, but what happened was these bubbles formed in the body and it actually destroyed my hip. And so uh, we, we sort of experienced things and it started getting worse and worse. I was having this problem with this hip and the pain got worse and worse and worse. So I started getting it looked at. And they said, hey, you're going to have to get your hip replaced. All the cartilage is, is disappearing. So that was the beginning where the pain was getting very difficult. Now, my entire career, I've never been on narcotics, no drugs, never tried marijuana, nothing ever in my entire career. So I have literally no experience with drugs, narcotics, whatever. So before the surgery, the pain was getting bad enough, uh, literally bone on bone pain where I was, I was getting sick. I was literally vomiting because the pain started getting mm. uh, that bad. So of course, um, the, uh, the level of pain started getting, uh, you know, Percocet. And Percocet started about five milligrams uh, with oxycodone and the rest of course was Tylenol. Now at the same time, uh, since I was a, a military pilot, I was also in the, the National Guard. So I would fly part-time and I had a full-time uh, executive job working in, in industry up in Silicon Valley and technology. So I, I was able to continue working as best as I could. And the first time I got the, uh, the pain medication, the first uh, thing that the doctors say is, Hey, this is going to make you lethargic. This is going to make you, you know, really basically fatigued. And it was exactly the opposite. So with my career field, it's very physically demanding on the body, as you can imagine. And so we accumulate probably all those pains and aches and everything from all the things we've done. Uh, over the career. So the first time I took the pain medication, I'm expecting to be sleepy and everything. It was exactly the opposite. So for five, 10, and even 15 milligrams, you know, it, it wears off after a couple of weeks, the body gets used to it. 
and uh, then you got to go to 10 milligrams and then the body gets used to it and then you got to go 15 etc etc but the interesting part is for that first 5 10 15 this is the first time i didn't feel any pain whatsoever i realized oh um, and i always have an ache here or an ache there so it was almost yeah this euphoric state but when i say euphoric i don't mean it from an idea of being what you would say high or anything like that i mean it was the first time in many years that i didn't feel pain and it was boggling to me because i didn't even know i accumulated that much through my career so instead of this fatigue instead of this grogginess i actually was super efficient so my work was better i, I was more focused i was actually doing better than i ever did before which Again, it's completely opposite what most people think. <clears throat> so as things progressed and, and got worse, I, I then had my first uh, hip replacement. So it was a hip replacement and a little bit more. So we go through the surgery. And of course, the pain medication since I've been on the 5, 10, 15 for, I would say it was about 30 days or more before the surgery. So we're starting to accumulate and starting to increase with the, the painkiller. And I think your audience understands that you know, you, you get five milligrams after a couple of weeks, the, the body starts figuring it out and it doesn't work. So you got to go up to 10, et cetera, et cetera. Well, after the first surgery, again, it felt great. We started coming down. I think I was up around 40 milligrams at this point. So now we've got off the Percocet and we're purely on the, uh, you know, 30 milligram oxycodone pill. I remember it being blue. And uh, so it was around the 30, 30 or so. And I thought everything's going great. Well, about a month after the first surgery, things started getting worse. The first surgery actually went bad. It was even causing more damage. So I had surgery for the accident and now the first surgery went bad and the pain started climbing considerably. And of course they're evaluating what happened. So just to give you an idea and sort of fast forward this a little bit, that 30 milligrams kept on going higher and higher and higher to the point that it was at 240 milligrams of pure oxycodone a day which is absolutely boggling now this didn't go overnight this accumulated over time and it was more than a year before they did the second hip replacement they had to figure out what was going on but the pain was so bad that if i tried to stop it literally was like uh, I, I literally would have been vomiting from the pain so the idea of getting to these pain medications and getting to this level was shocking for me i, I think as we went 30 40 50 and I think it was 60 and I was upset that this is not working. Again, mm -hmm. we're talking about serious pain when it's not working. And I was so upset that at the time, uh, uh, my wife at the time and I went to my doctor and she was great. She, she was managing this. She was telling me that I was probably going to have to be in a program to get off of this because of the amount. And I remember being in tears going, I can't believe I have to take more. <clears throat> and so she stepped me up and we managed it as best as we can but literally the pain was that bad so eventually it got to 240 a day by the time i got to the second surgery so now this is like uh, probably a year and a few months and that's what was managing it as i started getting into that upper level that's when all the of course the lethargic the the uh i guess nods is what they call it you're in so much you're having so much that you know, you, you're, you're getting the pain, but then it's sort of like you're falling asleep and waking up. And at that point, uh, I wasn't working. So I would say the first five or six months that I was on the medications, I was working. And then the second six months to 10 months, I was not. That was where I was completely out of it. And basically at that point, you're just not functional. You're on so much, so much oxycodone. 
So we had the second surgery. Everything's great. I have to give thanks to Stanford Medical uh, up in uh, Palo Alto. They're the ones that uh, did the second surgery. And they also are the ones that helped me start coming off. So as I started coming off and we started weaning it off, uh, we would do it every couple of weeks. And the reason for it, again, is my body and myself, I've never been on this stuff. So every time I stepped down a little bit, I felt the withdrawal symptoms, you know, the feeling like you had the flu, feeling very un unwell. Uh, everything started getting exaggerated where, you know, a, a paper cut felt like my hand got amputated because it, my body was so, so sequestered, so, so numbed from the pain medication. And now things started becoming exaggerated. Well, eventually, as we got lower and lower and lower and got to the point where I'm getting off. OK, so I think it was around 10 or 15 milligrams. And I said, I'm done. That's it. And I, and I stopped that's when withdrawal symptoms come in and the withdrawal symptoms again you know the flu like all along but this is where it hits the fan and this is the same thing as if somebody was doing heroin or or you know injecting whatever you know the typical thing that you hear when people are on you know opiates or heroin or whatever it is this withdrawal symptoms is the same across the board so was I sick? Absolutely. You know, you're vomiting because you can't keep your food down. Uh, you lose uh, control of, of your bowels. I, I literally am, and I'm completely vulnerable with you and, and straight up with people because this is the fact is that uh, I, I was walking around for a week with depends on because I did not know if I was going to go to the bathroom or, you know, what was going to happen. I had an accident. That's how I realized, oh, my God, this is what happens. So, you know, you're you're vomiting from your sick. You lose control of your bowel syndrome. You get restless leg syndrome, which mentally was driving me nuts at night. Uh, it was absolutely horrific where you feel like your whole body is itching and you just can't do anything about it. And that severe uh, part lasted about four days. And then you start coming out of it and you still feel like crap. And it took probably another week to get through the sickness. You're never getting out of bed. I mean, you just don't have the energy to, to get out of bed. Uh, you don't have the energy to get up. You don't have the energy to eat. Just it's, it's like your body just shuts down. And the other interesting part about this now, I've got a lot of combat experience. I've been deployed all over the world and um, I had PTSD and the most vivid, incredible flashback I've ever had in my life where I was like, oh my God, this is happening again happened when I came off completely. So not only did it impact me physically, but that happened once and, and it was, it only happened once, but mentally it was shocking. And it was one of the first things that uh, the doctors I was working with, uh, the, uh, the addiction specialist helping me out is the first time they actually heard that. So that was really uh, interesting and they're very closely connected to the VA. So that was a, a very interesting note for them to realize. You know, uh, a lot of people do drugs for uh, a numbing effect to escape and whatever. Mm -hmm. This whole situation was from a military incident, was from multiple surgeries, surgeries that went wrong. And that's how I got up to 240 milligrams. And yes, it was managed. And fortunately, it was managed very well to come off of it as well. So I finally go through this two-week nightmare till I can actually function again, to where I could get out of bed and do things. And for me, I set these small little victories. And the point was, can I get out of bed? That's my simple objective. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out of bed. Make myself a breakfast. Okay, that's a small victory. I'll make myself a breakfast. So I talk a lot about small victories. And it's things we don't normally think of. For example, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, man, I can't wait to just 
you know, take off and start walking again. Oh, wait a minute. I couldn't do that. First, first victory was, I just want to get out of bed and in a walker. Then I want to get to a cane. Then I want to walk again. Okay, I got that. And that was the same setup about coming off withdrawals is, yeah, I just want to get out of bed on my own. I, I want to make breakfast on my own. I want to get outside on my own. Casually, we do this every day, but going through that particular, uh, getting off of the medications, I literally had to set the smallest objectives like that, that you would not consciously do to help me get out of it. And so if that benefits somebody, think about that. As ridiculously small you can get, you feel like you're achieving something, it's giving you the motivation and you feel like you're accomplishing that's gonna get forward. So that's what I did to help out. So after all this, this nightmare, about a month, I would say even less than a month later, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get back to the gym. So first of all, you're down all of these pain medications. Again, the pain is exceptionally exaggerated. You know, you, you stump your, your foot and you feel like somebody just chopped your leg off because the pain is exceptionally exaggerated. I can't emphasize that enough, is that the body is so numbed for, you know, 22, 24 months was the total time I was on all the medications from the beginning to end. And the body is so numb from this that now it's starting to feel things again. And so anything is exceptionally exaggerated smallest little pain is exaggerated so sorry let me step back so you get off all this this is now about about a month i'm like okay i'm gonna go to the gym i'm gonna start working out outstanding everything's going great but what happens when you work out in the gym you're burning fat you're getting your muscles going so you always feel that soreness so what happens the addictive part kicks in this is something that they taught me as well is hey you're going to have the feeling you're going to have cravings and for me, I was like, what are you talking about cravings? Um, you know, I may mention this, my father smoked for years and I said, why can't you just quit? And he couldn't. And, and I had no idea about the simplistic part of, of addiction. And that was cigarettes and how you get cravings and so forth and afterwards. So any kind of pain I felt, so the soreness of going to the gym, guess what? The body's used to getting a pain medication every time it felt pain. So now, that craving goes in psychologically. They taught me, I say, okay, no way. I'm not going to do that. I do this and I'm going back to this kind of life. I'm not going to have a life going to be dysfunctional or non-functional, excuse me again. So anyways, I fought that off psychologically, very critical point. I think people need to learn when they're coming off of this. But now the interesting part is I fought that off and the next day, it's almost like I'm having withdrawals light. I, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I felt sick to the stomach again. I wasn't vomiting. So it wasn't like the massive withdrawals that I had before, but it's, it's almost like that. You know, it's like it just completely refreshed everything where I couldn't get out of bed. That would last for about a week. Okay, get through that. Two or three weeks, starting to work out again, starting to bike again, and starting to work, you know, get to the gym. Same thing happens. So about every three weeks, I was starting to get into this cycle. Now, I guess the, the, the opiates get stuck in your fat cells. So when you're burning them, a little bit's getting released in the body. So you guys are specialists on this, but this is my understanding. But again, the, the key thing about this was whenever I felt pain, psychologically, I want a pain pill. Okay, ignore that. But the body subconsciously is looking for that. So when it realizes it doesn't have it, then it gets into that withdrawal stage again. So it's, it's beyond your consciousness. This is just what's happening. So again, this is happening every three weeks. I went from June till about January, February of this happening every three weeks. I was practically pulling the hair out of my head. So it was about five months. 
five or six months. So I went to the VA and said, hey, I don't know what's going on with me. You know, is, is something happening? Is there something wrong? And they explained to me, you have post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which is called POS. Now, I had no clue what this was. I've never been on these medications before. And they said simply is that you've never been on any kind of medication. You've been on marijuana, never been on opiates, never been on narcotics whatsoever, that you saturated your body so much and it was for so long that your brain has become basically wired to deal and have the opiate. So what happens is as soon as I feel pain, the brain is looking for that, that pain, that oxycodone or whatever. When it doesn't get it, it's almost like you came off of it, so you get into this withdrawal stage. Now, that's the layman's explanation, so I'm not, not a scientist or a doctor, but this was happening three or four weeks. Worst part about this, okay, this is where I think the, the peer support is important and have an understanding from family and friends. Now, again, I was a senior officer, I was a pilot in the Air Force, never been on this stuff, have a master's degree, you know, so not a guy living on the streets. So that stigma should be out. This happens to anybody. And they told me it happens to doctors, lawyers, you know, me as a pilot, everybody. And the worst part about the post-acute withdrawal syndrome is that people that I knew close to me, even family, thought that I was back on the pain medication. And I would tell them, hey, look, you can watch me, you can monitor me. I am not taking anything, but this is what's happening. And I understand that this is one of the most powerful things to get off of. But the worst part was having the closest people that care, that you care about and that love you, thinking that you're back on a medication. And psychologically, that is destructive. Fortunately, I have sort of an alpha type personality and I'm like, no, and I'm gonna fight you on this. And I was able to get through it. But I think that's the biggest part is that when somebody sees somebody going through this afterwards and say it's post-acute withdrawal syndrome, sure, look at the person to make sure that they're not getting on the narcotics again and they don't have that ability but it may be something else. They may not be on the medication. And that's important for people to understand to help them. It really is. So now let me sort of fast forward again to where I go to the VA and I explain to them this post-acute, you know, they excuse, excuse me, they explain to me the post-acute withdrawal syndrome. I'm like, okay, how do we, how do we get rid of this? I, I didn't even realize it would last months. And he said, well, we have to trick the brain. You have a couple options. There's methadone, which I heard about and was scared to death of saying, no, I don't want anything like that. You got to go to a clinic. You got to take it. And they said, well, there's also this thing called Suboxone. I said, well, what is it? They said, well, it tricks the brain. Uh, it helps people get off of uh, opiates when they're going through withdrawal. But after the fact, what it does is it, it, it tricks the, the uh, receptors in the brain uh, to feel like it's getting the opiate. And most of the time, people that have been on heavy medications, you know, heroin and everything, taking 50, 60 milligrams of Suboxone. And what it is, is it's a tiny pill that goes underneath your tongue. It has naloxone in it, right? So you can't abuse it. You can't chew it. You can't inject it or anything for people that are, you know, that far off. Uh, so it, it's sublingual. It goes through the, the, uh, the membrane under your tongue. And what it did was, again, it just tricked the brain. So to give you an idea, the day that they tried this was probably one of the worst times, you know, that bottom dip where I was like in this withdrawal light. I looked like crap. I looked like I was gray, looked just absolutely like walking dead. So they gave me two milligrams and waited about 20 minutes. Not really an effect. I said, okay, we'll give you a couple more. And sure enough, over that 15 to 20 minute period, it felt like somebody took a, a squeegee across a dirty window like this and everything became vivid. It's like I could see things very clearly, 
the colors of the world came back. I walked into the bathroom and I looked like I was a different person. It was like the color of my skin came back. That droopy gray was gone. I looked normal again. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced, but that's what the Suboxone did for me. And so I was on four, they, they gave me six just in case, six milligrams. And, you know, I had to wean off of that, which honestly, I think coming off of that was almost harder than coming off the opiates. Really? But that was enough for me to get uh, functional. Sometimes people are on it for life, but that's what actually got me through the post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So it has been an incredible journey of experiencing these narcotics getting off the narcotics and then finding out a follow-on problem called the post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So that's, that's been my journey. And the eye-opening part was how it affects you mentally, how it affects you, affects you physically. Absolutely. Having the right doctors that were watching things, uh, both on the way up and also on the way down and having a support network that was really supportive with me with the VA in Stanford, Stanford and the, and the VA in Palo Alto, California are tightly connected. They, they actually work together. So I had a lot of benefits to uh, work with them and go through the programs accordingly. Uh, yes, it does take a lot of self-discipline and drive. Uh, those small victories helped me out. If I was focused on what am I going to do with my life now that I can't uh, function as a pilot, I'd probably have a huge mountain to climb like Everest. So setting the small little objectives of just getting out of bed was important and having the friends and the family support you. And I think it's critical that people understand that this happens to great people, <laughs> not just drug uh, addicts or people that abuse drugs. This happens to everybody and it happens to everybody across the United States. And it's a difficult process to get through. So you have to be supportive and understanding. And after they get through it, it's a lot of maintenance to help the individual along. I wanted to do as much as I could on my own, but having understanding both psychologically, emotionally and uh, you know spiritually was the most important. So you really have to watch out that and not go to your first assumptions that this person is taking drugs again. That was my journey. And I continue to talk about it and, and continue to drive on because uh, people need to understand that this is a whole different perspective. So I hope that explains it. It's a little bit of a, yeah. a long story, but it, it covered a couple of years and, and a lot of events. No, it's fascinating. And thank you. That's good information. And it's, I mean, I don't have that perspective on that side of it um, unless somebody shares it. And so yeah. I think this is fantastic. How long were you on the Suboxone? Uh, geez, believe it or not, let me see. Let me finish. Uh, what was the date? Oh, I should have uh, I should have thought about this. So that would have been 2016, 2017. And it was probably about four years to come off of it. And the reason for it is when you come off of it, um, you know, say, say, let me just give you an idea. Say, say you're down to two milligrams and you're like, ah, I'm going to cut the pill in half. Well, that's a 50% drop. So when you look at the percentages and you drop 50%, you do have uh, withdrawal light. You won't feel well for about a week or two. It actually lasts longer. So it stays in the system longer, you know, where, the narcotic will spike up over hours and then drop back off. That's why you're always trying to maintain it. With the Suboxone or Nopropine, I can never pronounce it correctly, what happens is it accumulates in the body and it sustains for a longer period of time. So you're not doing this up and down. It becomes stable and it lasts longer in the body. And so when you step down, instead of say three or five days of, of brutal withdrawals, the withdrawals last a couple of weeks, but it's not as brutal. You just feel like you have the flu for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little tougher, but 
compared to where it was, you know, it's, it's not bad at all. Uh, but uh, yeah, finally, finally got off of it and it took actually a few years. Uh, but that's not a problem when you can be completely functional, completely operating normally. And like I said, some people were on these things for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I, the, the post-acute withdrawal center, did they tell you how long you would need to be on the Suboxone to cut that, that cycle? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it, it, each in person is different, you know, yeah. and I looked at it and I was able to find for me and working with them, it was like, okay, when mentally I wasn't have any thought of, oh, you know, it's not as strong as the opiates, right? So yeah. whenever I had an injury or something, uh, you get that, that craving. So the cravings would go away. So when I finally had the psychological strength and nowhere about, okay, I'm not having these cravings. I think I'm doing pretty well here. Um, we got some stability to things. My, my health is okay, much more stable of looking good, feeling good. That's when between the two of us, uh, when I say the, the doctors and myself, that's when we started looking at it going, hey, we can step down. So I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. And it also depends on how you're feeling. Because, uh, you know, I could come down to say a milligram and I might need to be on that for the rest of my days because it really depends on how much the brain has really rewired itself for the brain chemistry, um, it, you know, uh, calibrates itself. And sometimes I guess for some people, depending on either how long they've been on the medication, uh, the, the actual pain medication, uh, that may be impact them as far as how long they're on it or if they're on it for life. So it, it's very collaborative and the more open you are with the doctor, um, I think that that's the best feedback mechanism. It is really a 360 mechanism. You're giving the solid, real information, and the doctors are are giving you feedback of like, "Hey, this is how we should step down." But right. it's a longer process. Yeah. Well, it bridged the gap for you until you could get past a certain point and strong yeah. enough to then, okay, let's try something else. And so now you're past that. Do you still have any of these feelings of the withdrawal symptoms at all? Or are you back to? Um, I'm fortunate. Uh, I'm pretty much back to normal. Okay. Uh, I have to say is I can't think of the last time. I, I don't think I've had, I, I can't remember consciously when um, I've had a craving for okay. anything. So fortunately for me, and, and it, maybe it's just my mentality and I have a never quit mentality is um, I haven't had any cravings like that at all. Um, you know, you experience pain from either working out or whatever it may be, right. or just getting old or injuries. Um, yeah. I just deal with them accordingly. Um, okay. the, the hard part is because my injury was really bad and, and of course the first surgery caused even more damage yeah. for me that the hip pain and the situation I'm facing, uh, never goes away. It, it's always, they're out of, uh, well, I love these questions out of one to 10. It's always like a constant three, uh, four and a half, mm. depending on if I'm working out or not. So I have mm. to deal with that all the time. And, uh, that sucks. And the last time that I, all that pain was gone, sure it was on the narcotics, but I use other things, acupuncture and other things to be a little bit more, uh, it was that homeopathic, I guess is the right yeah. term, but trying to do things like, so self-care uh, is really important. And uh, I just found other paths to deal with it. Yeah. So yeah, that pain has never gone away since I was on the medication, you know, but I'd rather be able to tolerate this little pain yeah and have a quality of life that's beneficial than something that's completely well and it it didn't go away very well on the medicine either so <laughs> <laughs> no, right. it, it, it's a journey it's a journey and um you know i i think about it and i was fortunate enough to uh have the experience with you know the va and, and yep. understanding the whole situation 
And I do always wonder, you know, people that are in different situations or maybe they do this from a recreational standpoint that don't have that kind of support and do really wonder how do they come off of this? Right. And I think that's where the understanding comes in. And I think that that follow on treatment, even after you go through the massive withdrawals is what's key. Uh, so, you know, I got I got to touch on this one. I'll just say this real quick is so I sort of became a mentor at the VA. And, you know, there's a difference between officer enlisted me. I don't really care. Some people do. And so I was in this group. This is, again, where they were teaching me like, hey, you're going to have cravings. How do you deal with it? So it was like a group thing. And it was all veterans, which was, you know, comfortable. But I'll never forget this. And this was the aha moment where it's like, OK, I'm going to make a difference and talk about this. So there was a Green Beret in the room, younger guy. Uh, I think he had his leg. His leg was amputated due to an IED or an improvised explosive device. And his leg was amputated. Uh, he was receiving pain medication. Uh, I don't know if it was from a doctor, VA, whatever. Pretty good amount of uh, uh, oxycodone. And then they just cut him. So he didn't go through a process to wean off. They literally just cut him. And he told me how bad it was. And then, unfortunately, somebody offered him heroin. And that's what he turned to because he was dry, trying to buy pills. My understanding is it was very expensive. So heroin was a cheaper solution for him. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that he psychologically was going down a spiral. So here's an elite special forces individual from our military, younger guy, has an injury, which is getting out of the military, have an injury. That's a whole different beast I could tell you about. But, you know, psychologically, it's pretty heavy. And then here he is in the VA trying to deal with it. And he's literally in a depressive state saying, what kind of person am I for being hooked on this stuff, right? And he thought I was a member of the staff. And I was like, dude, I'm one of you. And he's like, wait a minute, you're an officer. I'm like, yeah, who cares? This happens to anybody and everybody. And it was like these bricks fell off of his shoulder. And he's like, really? And, and so it was like he put himself in such a depressive state and like a, a low life state telling him, hey, this happens to everybody. It just changed his perspective. And okay. it really changed him and he got out of things. But it was really interesting that he was tempted based on uh, being offered heroin. Uh, he had to go to it based on being cut off and the psychological stigma he had himself, not just of other people thinking of people on opiates, but he put himself in the ground even more because he's never been through this thing. And that was the aha moment. It's like, I'm going to help people because it changed him. And if I can change anybody's life by just hearing the story, great. But um, it is, I always wonder what it's like for people on the street. Uh, to get off of this kind of thing, um, you know, when they have to endure that kind of experience. Yeah, no resources. Yeah. And that's a good point. And I think for us in the healthcare community, that's an important point. And, you know, when I'm interviewing someone that I suspect of diversion, that is one of the points I try to make to them. It's like, you're not, if you are, if you have a substance abuse problem, you are not the first person I've ever seen with this problem. You know, lots of nurses or pharmacists or you know, physicians, whatever the the field is, you're not alone. Yeah. And so, you know, don't beat yourself up for it. Let's just like end it now and, you know, start that new process of that journey. So yeah, that's definitely, well, thank you very, very much. And thank you for your willingness to tell your story and get it out there because I'm, I'm for sure it's already helped that one gentleman, but I'm sure it helps many, many people out there. So thank you very much, Glenn. Absolutely. Giving that insight to those that don't understand and also telling those that are in it that uh, can't doesn't exist. You can actually do it. So, you yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I like I it. Can't doesn't exist. All right. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks. Take care.